Well, take your Bible this morning. Let's get to it. Matthew chapter number 17. We'll get back into our series. Appreciate the preaching that went on here last Sunday morning as Brother Raspberry preached. And, and, um, and then also Brother W.L. Smith last Sunday night. So uh, tonight, Brother David Perk will be preaching. Looking forward to that. Uh, here as we're emphasizing outreach, I appreciate all the work that Brother Perkle does in, in being our outreach director, helping us to stay coordinated in that great effort. Many others also, of course, involved. So we'll hear, hear a challenge tonight along those lines. Okay, here we are, Matthew chapter number 17, beginning in verse number 24. And then what we're going to do is we're going to keep reading right on into chapter number 18, and we'll read through verse 14, all right? So we're just going to pick up the context there. The last part of chapter 17 is about paying taxes, and I just didn't want to have, have a whole sermon on that. So anyways, uh, but it is important. You'll see uh, as to why here in a little bit, okay? Verse 24, and when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, doth your master pay tribute? And he answered, he saith, Yes. He spoke for Jesus. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him. You know, that means that Jesus cut him off. He said, uh, Peter, come here. <laughs> Basically, I mean, that's what's going on. He pulled him aside, saying, what thinkest thou, Simon? <laughs> you ever have the Lord ask you, what, what are you thinking? <laughs> what thinkest thou? What thinkest thou, Simon? So then he, he asks, of, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, then are the children free. In other words, they don't have to pay tribute. They don't have to pay custom. They're free. They're, they're the children of the king. So the implication here is that we don't have to pay. He's the son of God. <laughs> we'll explain it more when you're sitting down and we're preaching. Okay, verse 27. I, I didn't get it either at the very beginning. I really didn't. I had to study. It's good for a pastor to study. <laughs> verse 27. Let's look at it. Notwithstanding, lest you should offend them. Notice that word offense, offend. We'll see that also in chapter 18. He says, lest we should offend them. Go thou to the sea. And cast an hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give it to them for me and thee. Now, right there, that's how you pay your taxes. <laughs> Amen. Just go catch a big old bass and get the money out of his mouth. Very unique. Yeah, man. All right, verse uh, one of chapter 18. This is not arbitrary. I'm not, I'm not just connecting this just to move on it. There really is a connection here that I think we'll see. He said, what thinkest thou, Peter? What are you thinking? Unless we should offend them. Let's keep reading down verse 1. At, that, at the same time, see, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, don't you know they were nominating themselves in their own minds? Who's the greatest, Jesus? We've been talking about it. Who do you think? <laughs> and Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted 
and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever shall receive one such little child in my name, notice this, receiveth me. But whoso shall what? Offend. There's that word again. Offend one of these little ones which believe in me. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, notice the remedy for this, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off. Now, obviously, he's not talking about mutilation, but he's saying this ought to get pretty radical here so that you don't offend someone, cause them to stumble, fall. Cast it from thee, it is better for thee to enter into life, halt, or maim, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. By the way, those are literal flames. This is not a metaphorical reference of Jesus. He believed in a literal place called hell. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed, he says, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Look at this, verse 12. You still with me? How think ye? Back to chapter 17, he said, what thinkest thou, Peter? Here he's asking all of his disciples, how do you think about this? What do you think? How think ye, if a man have an hundred sheep and one of them go astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and go after, go into the mountains, go into the mountains, he says, and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray. And if he find, if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine, which went not astray. Even so, please look at this in verse 14. Even so it is not the will of your father, which is in heaven, that one, that one of these little ones should perish. The title of the message here this morning, I realize, I mean, that's a lot of verses to cover. That's maybe not what we typically do, and it may not be what we actually are able to do. I don't know. We'll just see how it goes. Amen? (laughs) However far we get, we'll be in it together. But here's the title of the message here this morning. The extra mile mentality. The extra mile mentality. It's just where we are in our study, but it's also where we are in our Sunday school campaign. I'm so glad for this. It's awesome. The extra mile mentality. We need to have that extra mile. I want to go the extra mile. The extra mile mentality. Think highly of the lowly. Think highly of the lowly. That's the reason I say the song we just heard, that old violin that nobody wanted. All it needs is just the touch of the master's hand. So may God bless the reading of his word as you're seated.
We've come to a new section of uh, Matthew's gospel and and of course, it's leading up to the cross as Jesus is going to give his life. In fact, I, I really intended to begin our reading in, in verse, um, back in chapter 17 and verse 22 and 23. If you just look back at it, while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is, shall be betrayed into the hands of men and they shall kill him. And third day shall he be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. And so that is still the context. This is the third time that he told his disciples, I'm going to go and I'm going to be crucified. Uh, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried, but I'm going to rise again. Now they, they focus on be crucified, buried. And in their minds, they're thinking this doesn't match that you're the Messiah. In their minds, Messiah means you're going to rule, you're going to reign. And in their minds, it also meant this. We're going to reign with you and you're going to need a prime minister and you're going to need co-regents. You're going to need an administration. You're going to need a cabinet. You're going to need a faculty. You're going to need a staff. Who's the greatest? Isn't it ironic that Jesus is focused on the cross while they're focused on the crown? They're focused on their position. He's focused on dying for them. They're focused on themselves. It's amazing. Well, we can be much the same way. Pride and selfishness destroys relationships. We'll run that by you one more time. Pride and selfishness will destroy relationships. The section that we're in right here in Matthew chapter 17 and 18, 18 in particular, is really all about internal relationships within the church. In fact, we're going to see what Jesus is going to say. Uh, it'll be a couple weeks before we get to it because of celebration Sunday and then friend day. But we'll get back to it where he talks about, you know, if somebody's offended you at church, then, then go and settle it between you and them alone. Don't, don't put it on Facebook before everybody in the world to see. Just go to them one-on-one. In other words, your relationships within the church are very, very important. Very important. In fact, I like what Matthew Green said in his commentary. Internal relationships either make or mar churches. They either make or mar churches. It, it either makes a church well known for the right things or it's a blight on that church. It's a, it mars that church. It marks that church. Man, that church down the road, they had a split right there. Boy, I, I don't want to be known for that. Do you? I'd much rather it be like I had, and I know Angie shared with the ladies yesterday in the ladies retreat, I think at the conclusion that uh, the, the gentleman that did your mom's uh, funeral service, uh, Josh that was there with the funeral home, first thing he said to me when I walked in the door, I'd park the car to be ready to, uh, to follow the, the car to the cemetery. Here's, here's what he said to me. He said, this is a very loving church. We haven't worked with a church like this in a long time. That's just what he said. Something to that effect. You, you know what he's saying? He's saying this, uh, there's harmony right here. You know what? Honestly, we didn't create that because uh, it's the unity of the spirit. But we're to endeavor to keep it. And we, while we can't really make that happen, we sure can mess it up. We sure can mess it up. May God help us. May we have the mentality. That's what we're looking at here. I, I tried to draw your attention to it. The two different times where Jesus says, what, what are you thinking, Peter? And then he said to all, how think ye? What's your mindset? What's your mentality? What's your way of thinking about this? And Jesus is emphasizing to his disciples how that they need to go to great lengths for all people. They came to Capernaum and, and they were approached by uh, uh, one of the individuals that were talking about the temple tax, basically, is what it was. Matthew's the only one that records this account. 
Matthew, though, was a publican, formerly, before he got the touch of the master's hand. He was a tax collector himself. So I'm not surprised that Matthew would be the one that took an interest in this story. He's also writing to people that were um, undergoing some very difficult times as to whether or not they ought to be paying taxes. Okay, let, me, let me explain. So this temple tax, though, I, I didn't really understand it at the time either, but this man came to Peter as though the spokesman of the other disciples and asked, does your rabbi, does your master, does he pay tribute? And, and Peter said, yes, he does pay tribute. He does pay the temple tax that was used for the upkeep of the temple and to help to make sure that everything was still going. Jesus stopped Peter on his way in and said, uh, Peter, come here just a minute. Let me ask you something. Uh, when we're talking about, you know, the house of a king, uh, do the children pay to help keep up the house of the king or do the people outside of the king's royalty pay to help take care of the king's house? Which way is it? The children of the king or the people outside that, are you following along with what Jesus is asking him right there? Or do they pay to help take care of it? And Peter said, well, the children don't pay because uh, they're part of the royal family. They're being taken care of by the taxation of the people. You get it? And Jesus says that, uh, now we're going to pay this because you obligated us. <laughs> and we don't want to offend them. He, he really, no, seriously, I think he's also saying, I don't want people to get the idea that I don't think the temple is important. But watch this. The temple representing at that day and time, the house of God. And since it's the house of God, that was his father's house. And so he didn't have to pay. But we will pay. All right. So the reason that was significant for Matthew's audience, the first readers of this book, is that after the destruction of the temple in AD 70 by Rome, then the Jews and Christians alike were obligated to pay taxes to Rome to take care of a temple in Rome. And they didn't want to do that because filthy Romans ungodly Romans. Why should I pay taxes to help take care of them? As we go along as believers living in America and our country gets further and further away from God, it might cross your mind. Why should I pay taxes to help take care of all that's going on in America? Can I reference you to Romans chapter 13 that we're to respect the powers, honor the powers that be as ordained of God and, and they don't have to be Christians for us to honor them? Nero was not a Christian, far from it, when Paul wrote such words. So, I'm just simply saying to you before we move on, this won't be the most popular point of the message, but it is an important point. Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. Do right. Do right lest you would be an offense. Somebody would say, I thought you were a Christian. Why aren't you paying taxes? My father's in heaven. My citizenship's in heaven. Well, uh, do you thank God for the military that we have? Do we thank God for the police department that we have? I thank God for the police department. I thank God for the fire department. I thank God for the first responders. I thank God for our military. I'm not really excited about paying taxes. In fact, I want to pay the least amount that I can. Come on. But I'm also thankful to be able to have and live in America where we have such freedoms and, and, and support the, the local police department right here. 
We pray for them every, every month in the military. We kind of rotate those two. I was just up there in Belleville and they, they have, uh, they're right on the main street. And so they got a, a room that uh, the police department, they have a code to be able to get into this. And they've got snacks spread out on this table for those, uh, those officers. They got a nice table where they can write on their reports rather than in their car and got a nice restroom that's there. They got open up the fridge. There's all these energy drinks in there. I thought that was really nice. I don't know if we can do something like that. I just talked to uh, Brother Brian Schechtsnyder and they had a blue-white Sunday, I think they call it, and had over 100, I think he had said over 100 officers or first responders there, not just officers, but maybe others. Hey, that's awesome. That's great. That's saying this. Hey, what you're doing is important. We support you on it. So that's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Hey, what, what are you thinking here? What are you thinking? But let's pay this lest we should be a stumbling block. By the way, the word uh, offend is the word from which we get our word scandalize or scandal. A scandal. This would be, this would hit the news (laughs) and and so forth. That's kind of the idea of it. All right. So now let's move on to chapter 18. Everybody understand that? Does that help anybody? Okay. Three people. That's fabulous. Okay, great. That's enough. Okay. (laughs) All right. It's obvious here that the disciples were not thinking like Jesus was thinking. The transfiguration maybe caused some of them to think, well, I wonder if Peter, James, and John think that they're kind of the head honchos around here. Why do they think, maybe they think they're the, they're the most important. Uh, one man said this, even the best of men are subject to earthly mindedness. This is clearly as, as they came to Jesus and they said, uh, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? By the way, there was another time when he, they were arguing among themselves and Jesus stopped and said, uh, what was it that you were talking about? You've been busted. You know, when you're fighting in the back of the car and your parents say, hey, what were you talking about back there? Uh, nothing. It's exactly how the disciples were. But here they are. They're having this discussion among themselves and came to Jesus and said, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's a worldly mentality. You know, we have our own, the Oscars, the Emmys, the, the, uh, in the arts, the movies, music, novels, athletes. We have terms like this, the GOAT. Greatest of all time. We're talking about a quarterback or a basketball player. Who's the goat? Who's the greatest of all time? Watch this. If we are not careful, we can allow that mentality to come into churches. And then somebody might write the book, Humility and How I Attained It. (laughs) Somebody else writes the book, Three Greatest Soul Winners and How I Led Them All Three to the Lord. What I'm saying is that if we're not careful, we can, uh, we can go the extra mile to make sure that we look good. We can go the extra mile to make sure that we are appreciated. And we can have our favorite preachers and we can have our favorite ministries and we can have our favorite churches. We can have our favorite Bible colleges. We, I know a good one. We can have, a, we can have all these things. And, I, and it's nothing wrong to appreciate and love your church and appreciate and love a pastor or appreciate and love a, a preacher or appreciate and love a Sunday school teacher. But, but let's, let's stay away from that mentality that says, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? I think they probably waited with anticipation for Jesus to roll out the answer. Who would he announce in that that celebration? In many ways, they were acting more like celebrities than they were like servants. Who's the greatest Jesus in the kingdom of heaven? T.S. Eliot said that a servant of God has greater chance of sin because he can make that call serve himself. 
Jesus is going to emphasize that truly great servants think less about themselves and more about God's people. Who's the greatest, Jesus? I think it was kind of like maybe a, a drum roll in their mind the, this year's or maybe this eternity's greatest discipleship award goes to. Jesus called a little child to him. Josiah, could you come up here? Who's the greatest? I talked to him before the church service and dad said it'd be okay. Who's the greatest? Um, would y'all mind to stand here? Okay. Imagine what's going on here. Yeah, yeah, you can have my seat right there. How's that? Huh? Who's the greatest here? I mean, just think what Jesus did. He brought, and the Bible says that he caused this child to stand in the midst of these grown-ups. Who's the most important here? Well, they're all important to God, right? But Jesus says, who's the greatest here? Who has, who, uh, Who's, who's, let's have a, okay, uh, get your phones out. We'll have a little vote, right? <laughs> Put it up on the screen. Who you, Jesus said, let, let me show you who's the greatest. And he called a child. Josiah's 10 years old. Is that right? Josiah? Yeah. What are you driving now? <laughs> you don't have a car? How'd you get here? Did you walk? No, you're on you're old, you're old your van with your mom and dad. What size engines that got in it? Do you know? What'd you pay on gas this week? Did you find a gas station have about three nine three fifteen somewhere right in there? Or did you find one two ninety nine? No. Where's your office? Is it you have an office up here? <laughs> no. What kind of financial portfolio do you have? <laughs> is it open like this a portfolio or? <laughs> You see what Jesus is saying? This, this child, this young man, Josiah is a fine young man. He's growing and serving and involved, um, trying to honor his mom and dad and obey them. But, but here's, here's what Jesus is saying. A child simply trusts his parents to take care of him. He didn't, wait, he didn't stay awake at night last night wondering, man, how am I going to pay for gas this week? Did you pay the utility bill? No. <laughs> what's your, what's your, <laughs> what are you paying in rent right now? What are you paying in, in your mortgage? Huh? <laughs> you know what a mortgage is? <laughs> Never mind. Okay. <laughs> principal interest. Are you, is it higher? Are you paying more principal now than interest or is it? No? <laughs> you get what Jesus is saying? And yet, and yet what, what do we as adults do? We think, oh man, you know, they got a big house. They must be really important. Huh? They, they've got, they got a car. They, they got one of those new Corvettes. Huh? Right? Man, come on. A, 20, a big, big engine in it. They've got this. They've got that. Man, they got all, And, and we, we put a person's status based on their office, their job, their salary, all these things. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you are God's child, that is the highest status that you'll ever come to. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, Josiah, you, you can go on back down too. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Josiah. He was so eager to help me today and he didn't know what he's getting into for sure. 
He's just trusting his parents to take care of all that. That's humility. That's dependence. Now, kids have other issues, right? They have other issues. But what Jesus is teaching here is that, listen, there's humility there. There's trust there. There's a simplicity there. There's a confidence there. The, the greatest status is that I know I'm my father's child. I'm my mom's child. I, I belong in the family. And listen, listen today, it does not matter what kind of financial uh, greatness you have or if you just have, I mean, just two pennies to your name. If you know God as your savior and he's your father, then listen, that's the highest status that you're ever gonna have. Praise his holy name. And so Jesus is teaching them a very important lesson that listen, don't find your significance in who you are. Don't find your significance in how well you're like. Don't find your significance in all that you have, but find your significance in who God the Father is and that you have the privilege to be his child and just simply trust him. Don't get caught up in this race about status and prestige and performance. Just trust. Who's the greatest? God cares about children. But in, in their day and time, by the way, in their day and time, children were not really that important. Now, in our day and time, children are celebrated. And I, I love kids. I love what Brother Sam used to say. If you don't love children, I hope you miss the rapture. I mean, he just said it with a heart of compassion, don't you know? But... But he loved kids. I, I love it. I love to see, I love to see, you know, how that Brother Sam, I mean, he's so well known, but I watch him take time for little eight and nine-year-olds, right? Because like my uncle used to say that when you get too big for a little church, you're too little for a big church. Not good. Listen, it's not our name. It's not our status. Hey, and, and Jesus is saying, listen, I care about this little one. I care about this child here. And I care about them just as they are. They don't have to, they don't have to be a big shot with me. No, I care about them. And, and, but, in, but in their culture, children were unimportant. They were kind of off to the side. They, they were not significant. They were not important. They didn't, at their birth, they didn't have a big bounce house for them. And at their, they didn't have a kid's day. I remember being down in Brazil and it was kid's day. It's like Father's Day, Mother's Day, and it's kid's day. I mean, toys were everywhere. They, don't, they didn't do that. That's a Western culture. In this Eastern culture, they didn't do that. Kids were not significant, except as Jesus said, hey, listen, bring the little children unto me and suffer them not. Don't, don't prevent them. Let them come. The disciples had this mentality. Hey, Jesus is doing something important. Y'all need to go. But Jesus said, no, wait a minute. I'm doing something important. Bring them here. You feel the difference? Okay? And if anyone receives me and receives this little child, then he receives me. That's in verse number four. He's got to humble himself and he shall receive, he that receives such a little child in verse number five, I'm sorry, then they receive me. But look at verse number six, if you would, please. Whoso shall what? Offend one of these little ones. Now I think he, which believes in me. So I don't think at this point he's just talking about children. I think he's talking about anybody that is one of his followers, one of those believers that may not be important in the eyes of the world. But listen, it does not matter who they are. You, my friend, you are important in the eyes of God. And he's trying to teach his disciples, listen, you treat people equally important because they are equally important in the eyes of God. 
If somebody comes in this church family and they got here in a Lexus and they're driving a really nice car, then you ought to greet them and be kind to them. But if somebody came here in a Pinto, remember Pintos? I don't know if anybody has an old Pinto, but my brother-in-law and sister used to drive a Pinto. I'm talking about an old Ford Pinto and they just barely got in the parking lot and it was rattling and it was like a Bondo buggy. Hey, listen, if they came in here and their clothes aren't really nice and clean and they don't look like they belong in church from the world's perspective, hey, listen, woe be unto us, woe be unto us if we treat them any differently than we do the person that came in here driving a Lexus. Because we're not supposed to be in it for what people can do for us. We're supposed to be in it because of what God can do for anybody. Loving people for who they are. Going the extra mile to try to reach people and going the extra mile to make sure that your life doesn't cause somebody to trip up. Look at, look at the verse here. We doing all right? Verse number six, it says, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it'd be better for him that a millstone, a millstone was too big for a man to kind of move around. So they take an ox to grind or, or to get that wheat separated from the chaff. And, and so he said, it'd be better if you had that tied around your neck and you were taken to the deepest part of the Dead Sea or the deepest part of the Sea of Galilee and you were dropped off there. It'd be better for you right then. You know, that shows me God takes note when people neglect children. God takes note when people are abusing children and he does not take it lightly, friend. He does not take it lightly. And he does not take it lightly when somebody that is his follower starts acting like somebody that's not his follower and causes somebody to, I thought you were a believer. I thought you were a believer. Why are you taking money from the company? Your hands offended you. I thought you were a believer. Why'd you go down there to that bar and order what you ordered? I thought you were a believer. I thought your feet would take you to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Why are your feet not taking you there? How are we doing? You see that? Somebody that's, that maybe even wants to, oh, by the way, hey, uh, you got some kids in your home or young people in your home. You better be concerned about what they think and what they're understanding about what a Christian ought to look like. And if they're looking at you, don't think they're not looking at you, not paying attention to you. And by the way, don't think that the young people of this church are not looking at the adults of this church and saying, you know, when I get to be an adult in the church, this is how I want to be. I want to be tithing and reading my Bible every day and praying and being in church faithfully and caring about souls. I wonder if your kids are getting from you what a Christian ought to look like. Man, this is real good, popular type preaching for a Sunday morning where everybody just feel real warm and fuzzy and welcome. But I think in our day and time, stuff like this needs to be addressed because there's a lot of offense that's taking place with people's hands as they're clicking mouse. Um, a mouse? <laughs> Old school, man. Come on. <laughs> Tapping or whatever. <laughs> mice. Thank you, Brother Dean. I'm glad you know the plural form. <laughs> Tapping mice and going places they ought not on the internet or, or, or buying things that's just materialism and not, and not clicking to tithe or not clicking to give to faith promise missions. It may be that your hand is offending you. It may be that your feet are offending you or causing somebody else rather to be offended. It may be that your eye, you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at or you're looking at everything and you want everything. And you're not really being his disciple. Then what you ought to do is pluck it out, cut it off, chop it off. It's going to cost you something to really be his follower. You know, uh, the portraits uh, from years gone by, like of... George Washington and others, sometimes, you know, you only see like the face and maybe the chest, the bust there. Well, because if they were going to paint you back in that day and time, as I understand it, like a full portrait, it would cost you a lot to like paint your arms and to paint for sure, like a full body portrait would have cost you an arm and a leg. 
That's where that figure of speech came from. That's going to cost you an arm and a leg. Well, following Jesus will cost you an arm and a leg and an eye and a whole body if you're really going to be his follower. But if you're going to be halfway in the world and halfway his follower, people are going to be tripping up over you. But instead of doing that, what you ought to do is make sure that you're taking radical measures to make sure that nothing you're doing is causing somebody to stumble. In other words, listen, this all ties together. I'm not just putting this together to kind of try to cover a whole lot of territory in the Bible. I'm covering this because it's all a unit where he's saying this. Listen, you've got to go the extra mile as my disciple because I care about people. What kind of people? All. Rich, poor, intelligent, those that just barely got out of high school or did not get out of high school, those that got their GED and those that got their PhD. It does not matter with God. He loves all people, all colors, all races, all body shapes, all body types, thank God, all hair types. He loves older people. He loves younger people. He loves middle-aged people. He, listen, he loves odd people. Amen. Some of us ought to thank God right there. He loves odd people. I didn't mean to look at you, Brother Dean. He loves odd people. He loves all kinds of people. <laughs> okay, those of you that are guests just need to know that we have this kind of love relationship that all of us do with Brother Dean. So anyways, it's all good. <laughs> Take heed. Take heed, he says in verse 10. Take heed that you despise not. Don't think little, don't think little of somebody that God thinks highly of. Who does God think more highly of here in this auditorium? Well, he doesn't think more highly of anybody more than another. He thinks about everybody equally as highly. So his mentality ought to be our mentality. Somebody comes in here all tattooed up. We ought to love them and, and try to be a blessing and a help to them. And then if God saves them and, and God calls them to preach, then they can preach. Thank God for that. They can sit up here and sing. Absolutely. They could be a deacon. They could be a trustee. They can serve if, if, if the conditions are. Are you following what I'm saying here? I'm thank God that somebody didn't read, uh, rule Burton Gates out because he was a bartender at one time. Now, if he was still a bartender trying to pastor, that's wrong. You got it? But he's a church planner in the heart of Philadelphia, and he's reaching crack addicts and cocaine and people that are just strung out on drugs. Thank God for people that, that God is using people to reach people. They're going the extra mile. It's not easy. The danger is that we just kind of get a little bit complacent, apathetic in church and just kind of come to attend when we're supposed to come to get charged so that we go back out there and go after people like that. Just trying to be as real with you as I can because we can sit here kind of smug thinking, well, we don't need those kind of people in our church. What kind of people? Did you hear me? What kind of people? Well, I don't know that we want a bunch of immigrants in here. I don't know that we want a bunch of, you know, I mean, just you name it. I don't know that we want a bunch. What, 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 what kind of people you want in here? Well, I want, I want people that's a lot like me. Oh, who are you? Well, <laughs> Uh, if I push that far enough, probably I'm, I'm just going to save a little bit of time here and probably come down to this conclusion. Uh, are you a sinner? Yes, yes, yes. Well, the, what kind of people that we need in here is sinners. 
If you want people in here that are just like you, then what we need to do is go out there and get other sinners. Is that agreed? All right, so sky's the limit. Go get them. They're everywhere. All kinds of sinners out there. Just bring them in. Bring them in. Bring them in. Go bring them in. Go out and, and seek the lost. Bring them in. Go to the highways. Go to the hedges. Go, to, go down there by the barn. Sit outside. Don't go in. And, and people wonder, what, what's he doing going in there? But just wait outside. They'll come out eventually. They may not know exactly where they are, but you stand right there and you hand them checks and invite them to come and you care about souls and you go knock doors and you, you risk your life going because there's a dog there, right? I understand. Listen, we got to use common sense. I understand all of that and we can't compromise on sin, but here's what we've got to stay fresh on. Here's what we got to stay hot on. We got to stay hot on going after lost sinners that Jesus loves. Because the way he said it, if, if a shepherd, how, how do you think about this? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, I mean, just one of them goes astray, doesn't leave the 99. By the way, he's leaving those 99 in safekeeping with other shepherds. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean in that text that those 99 don't matter to the shepherd. No, those 99 do matter to the shepherd. But he's going to go after that one that's gone astray. And he'll go up on the mountains. And he'll go down in the valleys. And he'll go through the thicket to find that one. That's why we're having the Sunday school campaign. We're not trying to boost numbers. We're not trying to inflate anything. We're not trying to be somebody. But here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to go get people that have gotten out of church that need to be back in church. There's some sheep that have gone astray from Southwest Baptist Church. Now, I wonder if you'll go get them. We'll say, isn't that the pastoral's job? Isn't that why they're sitting up here? Well, you just saw Josiah was sitting up here too. He cares about lost sinners. He goes out and tries to reach people too. His family does as a unit. All of us do. Hey, you, I'm just trying to get across. You don't have to have a position to have a service. You just need to know you're saving God's good and he'll be good to anybody and save anybody that'll come to him by faith. Preach, I don't know what to say to somebody. Here's what to say. God's good and he loves you. He loved me. He'll love you. He loves you. You come with me. Sit and, sit and we'll hear some. You may get all tongue-tied. It's all right. Got a, I was driving the, the bus to drop off students while they're door knocking. And one of the guys came back on, cracked up because he and his partner, he said, man, he got, he got his name mixed up with my name. <laughs> they switched names. You can be so nervous that you forget who you are or what you're doing, but it doesn't matter because of who he is. What are we thinking? It's not the will of our Father that one of these little ones should perish. Man, it sure is expensive to run buses anymore, you know. I mean, you've seen how gas is. I mean, it's coming down a little bit, but it's still those buses there take a lot of gas. And those kids, those kids, those kids. Well, what about your kids? <laughs> those kids, man, they can be rowdy. They can be rambunctious. They, they don't sit still and quiet. We got to bring them in. Love on them. Teach them to love God's people. Teach them to love missionaries. 
one of the classes, I just had some time, Brother Jacob Pierce, he mentioned his wife Juanita teaches in the sixth grade department, and, and she had her class right to the Barretts, uh, Brother Riley and, and Miss Whitney Barrett, there's missionaries, new missionaries there in the England area, and in, in Scotland, in, not in Scotland, but in England, and, and, and so they wrote to them, well, here's what the Barretts did, this is classic, they sent back not just a letter, but they actually sent cookies and, and chips and tea and other stuff from England for that class. That's awesome. That's going the extra mile. How far are you going? We need to get up out of the sofa. And get back out there on the streets. And knock in some doors and say, hey, God loves you. That's more important than any football game. doesn't matter which team it is. In fact, if you stay home watching football long enough, you're bound to get depressed. (laughs) Doesn't matter which color you're pulling for. Isn't that right? But if you get out there and you get to lead a soul to Christ or at least invite somebody to come and they come and their life is forever changed, that's eternal. What think you? How are you thinking about this? How are you thinking really? Are you you getting the message? How are you thinking about this? Because selfishness and pride, if we turn inward as a church, we just get about us four no more, I'm telling you, it'll kill this church. You say, well, the students are doing a good job at it. Well, the students aren't, they're not the only ones that's supposed to be, they're not the only ones saved. We're saved. We're supposed to be out there caring about lost souls. And I'm not saying that, that everybody is going to have the same times as far as organized visitation. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is you ought to care about the person that you work with that, that maybe has a really rough life and, and you think, man, I don't think I can talk to him because, I mean, he's scary. He's legitimately scary. I remember a guy that, that named Corey that worked at O'Reilly's and he worked back in the back all by himself all day long. Corey worked back there crushing boxes. Never smiled. Man, I mean to tell you, I thought, if I talk to him, he'll crush me. <laughs> but I talked to him Man, his heart was much more open than I ever dreamed that it would be. I'd like to tell you that he got saved. I am glad to tell you that, that he did come to church. If I'm remembering that right, Angie might have to help me. It's been over 20 some years ago, but I know that he was open to it. And, and it just really surprised me how open he is. Hey, listen, you never know till you try. And even if they don't respond, still we got to go the extra mile. Let's go the extra mile, church. Let's go the extra mile because God cares about all people because they all matter to him. Let's stand together here this morning. Obviously today, if you're here without Jesus Christ as your savior, and if you died today, you don't know for sure you'd go to heaven. The Bible makes it very plain that you can know that for sure so that you do not go to the place Jesus described as the place of the everlasting fire called hell. You can go to the place of everlasting joy called heaven. But you need to understand just because he died in your place does not mean you're automatically saved. But it does mean that you can be saved. Now I also want to say here this morning to every believer that's here. Asking the question that Jesus asked. I've already dealt with it myself and I've had to confess to God that I get busy or I get distracted. And not going after sinners like I should be. And so I've had to spend some time with the Lord myself and saying, God, would you help me? And I, I enjoy doing it. I want to do it. And I know that many of you do as well. You know that need 
that He came to seek and save that which was lost. And we ought to be a part of that. And so today, I'm just going to ask you, how many of you God spoke to your heart about this? And you'd raise your hand and say, yeah, that's, that's it, preacher. I need to care about people like He cares. God bless you. God bless you. Lord, we come to you now in this service asking for help, not only acknowledging that we needed to align our thinking with yours to have that type of mentality, but also asking for your grace and help to be a help to others that you love. In Jesus' name, amen. As we have invitation, join these that have come. You raise your hand and you want to pray and ask God for help to do what he's calling on you to do. If you are not saved today, I hope I've been clear enough for you to see that you just come forward and somebody will take a Bible and share with you from the Bible how you can be saved. As Brother Aaron leads us here, page 254, as we sing, would you come? Page 254.